Hey, and welcome back to Grace Talks, a Christian's women's podcast that studies the Bible, the women in it, and applies it to our lives today. On this day, we are going to be talking about Elizabeth, the mother who prepared the way. We're a couple weeks away from Christmas, so it just seems right to begin looking at the Christmas story. But before we get into learning about Jesus's mother next week, there was another woman who was very surprised to find out that she would be having a boy as well. We'll find out about her story in the beginning of Luke. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 7 read like this. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. So right off the bat, we get to learn a lot about Our Lady for this week. Elizabeth and her husband were both seen as righteous in the eyes of the Lord. We've talked a little bit about what being righteous means in previous episodes, but basically you just have to remember that being righteous is less about being perfect and more about a person's belief in God. Genesis fifteen six says, Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. So this tells us that Zechariah and Elizabeth both had a strong belief in God, not that they were just good at following the laws, although they were good at that too. This is a great look into a healthy marriage, because this means that they were two equally yoked people that both pursued God together. Proverbs twenty one twenty one tells us, that whoever pursues righteousness and love finds life, prosperity, and honor. With both of them pursuing righteousness so well, you'd think that they would be finding life, prosperity, and honor. But the passage tells us that there's something missing. They had no children, and they probably would never have any, because they were both really old. That doesn't seem particularly fair, does it? Unfortunately, there's a lot of unfairness in the world we live in, and it wasn't really different in the Old Testament. But yet, in the case of Zechariah and Elizabeth, we're about to see them blessed for their pursuit of godliness. Luke 1, 8-17 say, Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Yay! Good news for sure, but... If you don't realize how good of news, let me explain some background information. Before this word from the Lord, the people of Israel hadn't heard from God in 400 years. 400 years of agonizing prophetic silence, of waiting on their promised Messiah, 
of likely feeling abandoned by God. It was the kind of silence that left a buzzing in your ears, something that felt like a void, and it lasted for almost half of a millennium. Then suddenly, as Zechariah is performing his duties as priest, bam, an angel of the Lord tells him one of the most common phrases of the Bible, do not be afraid. What a way to exit the silence, to hear that your prayers have been heard and will be answered. Even when we don't feel like God hears us or when he doesn't answer our prayers, we can know that he hears them, that he is with us. But what the heck does this angel mean about the spirit and power of Elijah? So Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament who, like a lot of the others, preached repentance. At one point, he even prays to God to bring back to life a young boy, and God does it. He is really well known, though, proving that God was real and that the idol Baal was not when he had basically a competition of whose altar could light and burn without the help of humans. So the people of Baal yelled and prayed and nothing happened. Elijah made fun of them. And then Elijah douses his altar to God with water and prayed for God to light it. And God sent down fire from heaven to light the altar. Because of this, though, people wanted to kill Elijah for being a prophet. And so we see Elijah hiding in the wilderness, fasting. This is all in First and Second Kings, by the way. Um, and he's also communing with angels and God and who he knows to be Jesus or the voice of Jesus. And so then Elijah trains this new prophet and he ends up being taken up to heaven in this whirlwind, right? So crazy. Elijah, though, he's up there with Moses as some of the highest ranking figures of the Old Testament. And there are some prophecies about him, too. Malachi 4, 5 through 6 says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Or, like in Malachi 3, 1, it says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. That is some overwhelming information for sure. Not only will Zechariah have a son in his old age and his wife's old age, but John's going to have the spirit of Elijah, which means that the Messiah isn't far behind. Yet what does Zechariah's thoughts stick on? His age. Luke 1, 18 through 23 says this. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. I know that my immediate reaction is to be like, dude, he's an angel. Take his word for it. But then I humble myself real quick when I think about what I would do if a shiny man just appeared out of nowhere and told me that I'd be a parent to a prophecy from centuries before. I might pause too, probably check myself into a hospital for hallucination while I was at it. I, either way, though, Zechariah's disbelief cost him his voice until his son would be born. But then in Luke 1, 24 through 25, we get to see Elizabeth's response. So it says, After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, 
and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Now, I had always read this part and wondered why Elizabeth was in seclusion for five months, uh, but luckily for you, I finally researched it. So it turns out there isn't a definite reason that she hid herself, but there's some solid guesses about it. The main one is that she remained secluded until Mary had her own moment with Gabriel, but there's another idea that I love about it. Elizabeth, being past childbearing years, likely was postmenopausal. She wouldn't have missed a period to let her know that she was pregnant. Yet she had so much belief in God's promise to Zechariah that she knew she would be pregnant long before she'd ever start showing signs of pregnancy. She was confident that she would emerge five months later as obviously pregnant, a testimony of God's promise carried out. It could have been months of spiritual preparation, or maybe, you know, because she was older, it was a way of handling the physical trials of pregnancy. Either way, we see her immediate gratefulness for what God's done. She says, the Lord has done this for me. She knows that she's been shown his favor, and she feels like she's had the disgrace of being barren taken away from her, because back then it was seen that way. Women who couldn't conceive were looked down upon, even when they were as righteous as Elizabeth was. There's another part of Elizabeth's story where we get to see her relationship to Mary, because we soon find out that they're relatives. This is after Mary has found out that she's pregnant, and we're going to find out more about her story next week, but for now we're going to see a sneak peek of what their relationship looked like. Luke chapter 1 verses 41 through 45 say, When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to see me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Well, this feels like the actual cutest story of the Bible. John, still in his mother's belly, leapt for joy when he sensed the presence of Jesus still being formed in Mary's womb. You know how excited we used to get as kids for cool things like field trips or Santa or fireworks? Childlike joy is so pure and vibrant. Childlike faith is the same way, and we're called to it. Mark ten fifteen says, Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Our faith is supposed to be filled with the same joy and awe of a kid before the doubt that comes with adulthood creeps in. As soon as Elizabeth feels her baby leap for joy, she's filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's so cool! Her words come out as words that the Holy Spirit is giving her, filled with understanding about how important all of this is. She realizes that it's more than just her and her relative being pregnant in ways that they didn't expect, but that this means the coming of the Lord. And she realizes how blessed not only she is, but how blessed Mary is to be the mother of this Lord, the one who's been promised for centuries. I also just love the statement she makes at the end. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Smack that on a wallpaper. Write it down. I don't know. Do something with it so that you can see it on a daily basis. Just stop for a second and think about what we've been promised. We've been promised to have the Holy Spirit by our sides to give us strength to become better people. We've been promised to be loved as children of God. We've been promised to be heirs to a kingdom. We've been promised eternal life. I hope that you're blessed because of that belief because... When you believe these things to be true is when you're blessed with peace and comfort 
and excitement and confidence. We haven't been promised that we're going to live this perfect life on earth. I know I've made that point before, but it's so exciting because we've been promised all of these other things that we get to look forward to. Things that other people might not even believe exist. How depressing would that be to think that all you have is this little short lifetime here on earth? I can understand how cynical some people are when they start to look at the world around them. The one we live in that's filled with constant chaos. How sad it would be to think that the only life you get is one where bad things are happening all the time, where people are constantly divided, where you have to work for every ounce of appreciation and love that they receive. I hope your gratefulness is something that you can latch on to because it's something that can overwhelm the anxiety of this life. It's the gift that God gives us to be able to face all of the trials here, and it's a sneak peek into the gift that is a life in heaven. Luke 1, 56-58 says that Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. Another thing that I was unfamiliar with, but always curious about, why did Mary stay with Elizabeth for three months before returning home? At first I thought maybe it was because she was there for the birth of John, but it isn't mentioned in the Bible that she was there. And also in the story, it says that she departed, and then that Elizabeth gave birth. So if she wasn't there for the birth, you know, for certain... What was the purpose of her being there? This is another thing that isn't conclusive, but we can make assumptions about. I think a really good assumption is that Elizabeth could mentor Mary at the time and give her encouragement in the same way that she gave her encouragement when she spoke with the power of the Holy Spirit. Mary, who was a pregnant virgin, could relate to Elizabeth in a way that no one else could. Both of them were pregnant in ways that should have been impossible, but were made possible with God. I cannot stress how important it is to have a mentor. It doesn't matter if it's educationally, in your career, or spiritually. Having a person that can speak wisdom into your life makes all the difference in the world. I've been blessed with a couple of them, but particularly one who pulled me back into the world of Christianity in college, and who taught me how to lead people and how to speak to people, and who was just an incredible influence and example of a godly woman. If you don't have a mentor yet, I really encourage you to find one. You can find one at the church that you go to or at a Bible study that's on your organization or in your team. Maybe there's even someone that you're immediately thinking of right now that you think is an amazing example and you want to learn more from. I can guarantee you that the right kind of mentor is someone who would love to speak wisdom into your life, who would love to hear about what you're going through, and who would be more than happy to offer advice and to be a counsel for you. And if you are someone who has knowledge and who feels called to help others, oh my gosh, do it. Be the mentor, <laughs> you know? You haven't been given so much through God and through other people in your life just for you to not spill out into others. Fill up your cup with God, with the Holy Spirit, and with the people in your life, and then be generous and overflow. Overflow that living water into other people. Be that mentor that you wish you had or that you did have. Be the kind of person that someone can count on, that someone can turn to for advice, that someone can learn from by example. Also notice how in the verses we just read that Elizabeth's neighbors shared her joy because the Lord had shown her this great mercy. They had genuine happiness for her, and I just wonder how often you share another's joy. And yeah, you can definitely be happy for people when good things happen in their lives, when 
good things happen to other people, but what you should really be having the opportunity to celebrate often is when you see God give mercy to other people in the form of salvation. That means getting to witness the celebration of baptisms when your church hosts them. That means inviting people to church who haven't been before. That means living out a life in Christ that other people witness and ask questions about. Christianity isn't a gift that we should keep to ourselves. It's something to be shared. It's a joy that's meant to be shared. Then in Luke 1, 59 through 66 says, On the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father Zechariah, but his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with all throughout the hill, country of Judea. People were talking about all of these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Elizabeth was not afraid to speak up for what she knew was right. The angel told Zechariah that his name was to be John, and she held firm to that. That's a good thing for us to do, too. We should have the Aetzer, that strength, to speak up for what we know is true, to have the strength to do what we know God has called us to do. And, better yet, when everyone immediately turned to her husband, he backed her up, because he also knows to follow along with God's plan. And then suddenly he could speak. When I read this story, this is how I interpret the purpose of Zechariah's voice being taken from him and given back. When he professed doubt, God took his voice. When he professed truth, God returned his voice, right when the angel told him he would. My application that I take out of that? Don't use your words to profess doubt. Use your words to speak of God's promises and his truths and his glory. Our words hold power, and not only do they affect those around us, they stem from what's in our hearts. Matthew fifteen eighteen tells us that the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. What we say is a reflection of who we are, so we should be reflecting Christ as best we can with what we say and how we say it. So, John is born to prepare the way for Jesus, like Elizabeth's story is preparing us for Mary's. But better yet, I think of another similarity to this story and us. God prepares our way in this life, and Jesus prepares a place for us in heaven. Don't believe me? I've got scripture to back it up. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Our creator is always with us, even in our worst moments and even on our worst days. There's that phrase again, you know, do not be afraid. Living is scary. And there are so many choices that we have to make all of the time. And it can feel like we're missing out or letting people down or letting God down. Anxiety and stress are always high, and we can just be so afraid of not reaching our potential or ending up alone, but God tells us to not be afraid, even in this world, to not be discouraged, because even when it feels like the sky is falling down around us, we know that he's by our side, and we know where we're going. John 14, verses 2 through 3, is Jesus talking, and he says, "'My father's house has many rooms.'" If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Jesus is preparing a place for us in heaven. We're a part of a family, and we have a spot in our family home. Jesus is going to come back one day. Maybe soon, you know what? Maybe not. But we will be where he is. Not because of anything we've done, and thank goodness for that, but because he loves us and he wants us to be near him. Just like Elizabeth said, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. There's your application. Believe what God has in store for you. Leap with joy at his presence. It's awe-inspiring. It doesn't make sense, and it's more than we deserve. Bask in the love of the one who made you exactly as you are, the one who will always love you beyond measure. You're a part of the family. Celebrate with us, especially in this season filled with the worship of a newborn child. But that story is next week. So that's everything that I have for today. Thank you so much for listening. Next week, we'll be talking more about Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the Christmas story. I hope to see you then. It's a good one. If you have any questions about today's episode, the Bible, or anything else, I'd be happy to answer it as best as I can. And, of course, if you have not heard it today, God loves you. I love you. You are important, you have worth, and you have a purpose. I'm signing off. Bye!